Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Following the 2016 elections, there are many unanswered questions about what issues will dominate the agenda for our new president and Congress. In an eight part series, Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek's Washington, D.C. policy professionals and attorneys discuss their perspectives on the biggest issues facing the next administration. Brownstein's strategic advisors Barry Jackson and former Senator Mark Begich moderate bipartisan discussions on the first 100 days of Trump's presidency, as well as pressing issues like immigration, health care, financial services, tax and trade, education, infrastructure, and marijuana policy. In this episode, policy directors Elizabeth Gore and Brian Wild discuss efforts to prioritize investments in infrastructure under the new administration and Republican Congress, possible tensions it could cause with the right's usual fiscal conservatism, and the likelihood of bipartisan support. This is Mark Begich. Uh, I've served in the U.S. Senate from Alaska for six years, been a mayor of uh, Anchorage, Alaska, been on the local city council and also in the business world for many years. So I joined the Brownstein firm almost two years ago, and it's been a pleasure. And uh, the topics that we cover are enormous. So I'm just glad to be here to be able to have a conversation with so many talented folks. Well, thanks, Mark. I'm Barry Jackson, and along with Mark, I serve as co-chair of the strategic practice here at Brownstein. I'm one of only two people that have served as chief of staff to the Speaker of the House and senior staff to the President of the United States. And along with my colleague here, Mark, I think we can provide you a pretty interesting back and forth about the role of the Congress and the role of the White House as a new administration and a new Congress takes place. So let's dive in. We're being joined with Brian Wilde and Elizabeth to talk about infrastructure policy in the next Congress and administration. Thanks for joining us today. Brian, you have two decades, over two decades of experience in Washington, D.C., including service at the White House and the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House of Representatives. And Elizabeth, you have significant Washington experience serving as Chief of Staff and Legislative Director to U.S. Senator Byron Dorgan and working both the U.S. House and the Clinton White House. Thank you both for joining us this morning. Big topic, President-elect Trump talked about infrastructure, going to do things big and a lot. And so what do you think is going to really happen? What's possible in this uh, new Congress that's coming in and with the new administration? And where do you think the uh, uh, big issues are going to be in infrastructure? Let's give start off, kind of kick off there, Brian. Sure. So, uh, one, I, I think we are going to have an infrastructure bill. Um, it seems to be one thing that both parties uh, was on their wish list, maybe different levels of priority. Um, but it's a top three issue for both Republicans and Democrats. And I think that um, Donald Trump ran on this concept of jobs and job creators and um, infrastructure is going to fit into that um, from a job standpoint. So I think it's going to happen. I think the question is going to be once scalability and how big this infrastructure package is going to be, as well as timing and where this falls in the pecking order. Um, it Because it has an opportunity to be bipartisan, it could bring the two sides together, but it seems that it's going to probably come after uh, a Supreme Court nominee and a health care debate, which means two sides could uh, be vastly uh, apart by the time that we actually get around to infrastructure. Elizabeth, how uh, – so we have a big bill, let's say, maybe by summer something's cooking. How's it going to be paid for? Isn't yeah, that going to yeah, be a think- stress point in the Congress or maybe not? You know, great bipartisanship is pay for nothing and things work together then. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think that the way they pay for this bill is going to be the major question mark about how big it is and how much support it can generate. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about trying to put this infrastructure package together, really focused on the tax side. We're hearing that the Trump team wants to um, encourage public-private partnerships and that much of the um, package would be f tax credits for private companies that engage in these partnerships. Um, that is a very different path than we've seen in terms of uh, the past for typical infrastructure packages. And it's, it's a little bit unclear how that would work and whether it would be effective in creating the jobs that Brian talked about. Um, Private-public partnerships are not effective for all types of infrastructure and without a funding stream like a toll road or some sort of a um, mass transit project that has a built-in revenue source, it's harder to see how those projects will get off the ground. So I agree with you. I think the, the structure and the funding mechanism are going to be the biggest pieces. And let me make one other comment, and that is it appears that when Donald Trump's talking about infrastructure, he's really focused, I think, on roads and bridges. But typically, when these things go through the Congress, they're broader than that. They include airports. They include seaports. There have also been instances where they've included infrastructure like um, energy infrastructure, pipelines or transmission lines, and maybe even infrastructure like broadband service. So one thing that's unclear is what the scope of this is going to be, and that's going to also potentially be a stress point between Democrats and Republicans on Capitol Hill. So let me ask both Elizabeth and Brian, the two of you, like me, served in the role of chief of staff to a member of Congress. And one of the things when we talked about infrastructure that we found ourselves in a very practical way stuck in the middle is this conflict in the regulatory process between state and federal agencies and issues of things being concurrent versus sequential. If you wanted to do the kind of reform that appears that the new administration is talking about and what Republicans and Democrats on the Hill have been talking about, can you do this without trying to tackle this issue of how do you, how, how do you get the states and all the different federal bureaucracies into a streamlined approach so we can get the money rolling and shovel ready? Well, I think, I, I think we have the right people to figure that out. Um, in charge, I, I think that we're going to see, one, a, a deregulatory bent to the administration as a whole to try to speed up permitting across the board. I think that having a governor in Mike Pence, in not just in the vice president's position, but in what seems to be the key policy position, I think he's, he has the, the, the eyes and ears um, to, to know what's needed to kind of speed this up. So I, I do think that loosening up the regulatory side to, to kind of give states flexibility to, to bring projects on board is going to be a big a big part of this. And I would just add, I, I, listen, I agree with Brian. I think that there is going to be an effort to streamline, to deregulate. That's going to be a theme of this new administration. But I also think the um, incoming team may underestimate some of the hurdles in that streamlining effort. Every Republican administration comes in saying they want to deregulate and streamline regulation. 
every president who has an infrastructure package says that they want to make things shovel ready and have a quick turnaround in terms of projects being started and completed. And and it's harder to do than these sound bites make it sound. First of all, you've got statutory requirements. Second of all, you've got states that, you know, some states are not as eager to deregulate on the environmental analysis side than others. So there's also local politics that get involved. You have to have certain amount of consultation and buy-in at the local level and All of us who have worked in government know that it's pretty hard to push through an infrastructure package or project if you don't have broad support back home. So I think that this is certainly going to be the goal. And Barry, I think that your question is the right one to ask. But I do think that the reality of it may be a little bit more difficult than it feels like right now. So is this this one of those places where a firm like like Brownstein Hyatt that has – state offices, state lobbying operations, where there's a natural partnership here the, the for our clients where we can help them navigate both the federal side and the state side? Yeah, I mean, I actually think that's key. I, I think that from the municipal side to the state side to the to the federal side, you have to have a very streamlined, one-message kind of approach on this. And I think that, that going all the way back to the planning of a project at that initial stage and saying that your priority is going to be a transit system or your priority is going to be, um, you know, a new bridge or a connector between an airport and a, and a major hub, that has to be transmitted from the all the way from the local end up to the federal end, and you have to have a kind of a unified, not just message, but a unified set of messengers to really convey that. And I think that infrastructure provides an interesting point because we have an earmark ban that still exists. Um, And so, so much of this can't happen through an appropriations process. It has to happen through a regular order process of of viewing through what is a priority, getting your sign-off of your mayor, getting your sign-off of your state legislatures and your governor, and then moving up to the House and the Senate. And I think that without some form of of state outreach, it's going to be difficult um, to, to convey those kind of messages without having a unified, singular lobbyist in that group. If you were sitting around the table right now and you were talking to uh, Brownstein clients, how would you describe who will be the players? Who will be the people that make this kind of legislation possible? And then uh, who will help shepherd this through? Elizabeth? So I think the Hill is going to have an outsized role here. The administration, incoming administration, definitely has a view that they want to have an infrastructure package. But I think there's a lot of blank canvas on that um, message point. And the incoming administration, as um, we've talked about already, has a very full plate in terms of what they're going to be trying to get done in the first six months or so. And so I think there's going to be a lot of deference to the congressional leadership and the congressional committee uh, chairman and ranking members in terms of trying to put this package together. So obviously, the Department of Transportation and some of the other agencies will have a role. But I think the real players here are going to be on Capitol Hill. And I think it's going to be the committees of jurisdiction in both the House and the Senate Uh, that put this package together and that fill out the details of what's going to be included and how they're going to, um, you know, structure this this new plan. Can I just add, I mean, it's 
the House is, is in some ways easier than the Senate in the sense that the uh, Transportation Infrastructure Committee has such a huge chunk of this. But but if we get into broadband, if we get into to other issues in infrastructure, that, that pulls in other committees of jurisdiction. And in the Senate, it's, it's far more complicated to begin with. One, um, there's three committees of jurisdiction for transportation projects in EPW, commerce, and banking. But two, Democrats still matter, and I'm saying this as a Republican. You know, this is not a Republican-only play. Being bipartisan is going to be a key part of this, and I don't think there's going to be any project out there that's that's funded or gets a green light that doesn't have the sign-off of both Republicans and Democrats. And I think a lot of that game is going to be played on the Senate side. The whole debate over infrastructures is a well-worn debate. I mean, we we've know the different pieces, whether we're talking about a cell service up and down the corridor or the efforts of Chairman Schuster on air traffic control or just the state of bridges all over. So I think finding the projects is probably less of a concern and members of Congress tend to work in the bipartisan fashion, as you said, Brian. But it strikes me that where the rubber hits the road, if you will, has always between the two parties is the finance side of this. And we touched on that a little bit, and Elizabeth, you brought up the notion of the PPPs. But when you're facing a budget that has um, a little bit of excessive spending in it, let's say a deficit the way it is, do you think that we're at a point where this fight over over the pay-for of it is what, what stops us from getting the bill, big, robust bill that the president talks about? Well, I would make a couple of comments on that. The first is repatriation for companies who have overseas revenue is going to be one of the pay-fors, I think, on this package. So there's that that has been floating around in terms of one of the financing mechanisms. But that's not going to be enough in and of itself. I think opportunities to raise a gas tax are very difficult. I would be surprised if that was successful, even though, in my judgment, that is a good policy measure. But I do think that there are going to be other revenue streams that they're going to need to tap into um, in order to make this successful. I also think that when the incoming administration talks about a trillion-dollar package, that is going to be the leveraged amount of money. That's not going to be how much the federal government is financing. And again, I think this gets back to how much is really doable, how much is really achievable. And um, in my judgment, the financing mechanism is absolutely going to be a constraint. And I think it has a real potential for dividing some Republicans because you're going to have deficit hawks on one side and those that really want to make these investments and push forward an infrastructure package on the other. And um, we'll have to see how it all plays out. It, It may be that if you can get a bipartisan package, you can lose members on both sides. But until they have a more complete Uh, overall plan about the financing and how they're going to be spending the money, it's a little bit hard to see where the fault lines are. To stay on that theme for a second, on the money part, do you think as it moves through the process, some sort of infrastructure bill of some sort, that the idea of it as today, which is uh, tax credits and some other, will diminish and there'll be a mix of what I call non-debt capital in order to make this work? And if so, then that goes to your point, right, on the deficit issue, that if you start using 
general fund, you're going to have a deficit component here. Why not take the existing infrastructure, FAA bill, WERDA bill, even the highway bill that's already passed, but just look at those structures that have fee structures. Is there a discussion that that may occur, or is it just too wide open right now? So I, I mean, I think, I think you're going to have to have a hybrid. You're going to have to have all of the above approach. You're going to have to take some revenue out of, out of a tax reform measure in the in the form of repatriation or whatever that is, you're going to have to have some kind of incentive for private equity to be to be invested into the program, and then you're going to have to give some credit to debt that's out there as well. I mean, I think it's going to be a hybrid that to get to that number, and a lot of this is greenlighting projects that are already down the path. Um, and I think you know that creative kind of financing we'll see. I and mean, we have a we have a financier of sorts as president of the United States, and he seems to have ideas on what he wants to do. So I mean, I think I, I think it's going to have to be all of the above. I think you're seeing at the state level, you know, on the gas tax, you're seeing some creativity where f- people are looking at a mileage tax or they're looking at a, a weight per vehicle tax. I think you're going to see that kind of creativity at the federal level as well. I know we're at the end of our time. Uh, Brian Elizabeth, we want to thank you for being here, talking about infrastructure. Uh, I guess the one, if you had a crystal ball, you kind of said at the beginning, Brian, that maybe summer, maybe, but when could clients and others say, oh, we see the bill, this is happening? You should have the answer to this. (laughs) (laughs) My guess is that we will see this bill in July. So I have a longer answer, which is that we're – if you want to engage, you have to engage now. I mean, the bill is going to be built starting at this date and moving forward. It probably won't be publicly available until post-Easter break, closer to July 4th. And I think we bump up against – this is this is the bill that passes after August before we go into recess at the end of the year. This is the, the last bill of the, of the first year of the Trump administration. So I, I want to ask one last thing. I know Mark has wrapped this up, but earmarks. Is this bill the vehicle whereby reform to the earmark process happens, or we see earmarks come back? I think that we're going to see um, incremental change on earmarks. I don't think it's going to be in this package. I think that it's the package is going to happen too early in the administration for the administration to be comfortable with moving back towards earmarks. I also think that the bridge to nowhere is still in people's minds and there is a aversion to earmarks in a uh, infrastructure package like this. So my view is that we will see some evolution on this issue, but I don't think we're going to see it in this bill. So I think earmarks are done, but I think congressionally designated spending is going to be a, a, a watchword. What, what is that? <laughs> the it's same where a member of Congress were to designate a specific <laughs> project that needs to be funded, something not quite an earmark. Okay. Well, for, it's an earmark for, with another name. For, for our listeners, one thing you'll always know about Washington, uh, they can come up with a new phrase for the same outcome. And today we saw it. <laughs> Thank you both again for being here today to talk about infrastructure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Visit www.bhfs.com for more information.